Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. I've been wanting to have my next guest on the show for quite some time, but for whatever reason, as inspiring as he is, I was also a little bit intimidated by him. I think I was afraid like I didn't know my shit well enough to roll with him. But my next guest is a friend, someone that I have known for a few years, someone that I learned from, someone who isn't afraid to show his evolution of growth. Someone who isn't afraid to call it like it is, and he does it with an incredible lens of love. Chris Terrell is my next guest. He's a father, he is a husband, he's a friend, he's a brother, he's a son, he is a lover of life, he's a follower of Christ, he can probably deadlift some serious weight, and he just wants to see love everywhere, growing as abundantly as possible. And that's what attracted me to him. That's what makes his magnetism so inspiring and uplifting and encouraging and edifying. He just exudes love. He exudes understanding, compassion, passion for life. There are just so many wonderful things about my next guest. So I'm really excited to just jump into this conversation, a very necessary conversation. Chris is delicate about topics that are currently splashed across all of the headlines, but he has a particular lens of experience, of change, and of understanding that I think would benefit us all to consider. So as always, listeners, I ask you to compassionately consider the perspective of my dear friend, Chris Terrell. Enjoy the episode. Christopher Alexander Terrell, I'm 32 years of age. I'm the father of a five-year-old daughter. She'll be six in September. I've been married for seven plus years um, to an amazing woman. And through the course of of this life, she has been a very definitive um, aspect of my life. There's so much that I've learned from her um, that has been very impactful the time that I've been married to since 2012. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Marine vet. Um, I served eight years in the Marine Corps, um, the reserve side, because when I first joined, I was still in high school a year before my graduation year in 2007. And my mother gave me an option. She said, Chris, the only way that you can join is if you join the reserve. Um, so I told her, I said, yes. So I still did service time, but it was within the reserve. Um, prior to that, 
Um, if I could just deal with my upbringing for a second. Yeah. Um, I was very much mm, immersed within so much of my life, so much of what I thought was me, the identity that I thought was me, had everything to do um, with the religious environment that I was brought up in. Um, very rigid, um, very legalistic, um, very judgmental. Mm -hmm. um, overall mentality was, was, was very much um, an us versus them, um, an in and out. Either you're with us or you're against us. And for 15 to 17 years, the teachings within that environment and that environment within itself, it really fashioned and conditioned the way that I thought for many years. Um, so unity and love for me for an extremely long period of time was a unity and love only within the group. Mm. You are unified with those in the group. You are to love those within the group. Um, so with that, and the military wasn't approved from that organization at all. Like mm. it was really frowned upon. So when I decided to join the Marine Corps, um, I was pretty much frowned upon. And when mm. I think about it now, my mom, she really made a huge step because, I mean, it wasn't approved of at all. Like it, it was frowned upon. It was not the work of God. It was not, it was not the will of God. Um, but when I think about it now, sis, it's like the lessons that I've learned in the Marine Corps, which were valuable lessons. Um, for me, the, the, the Marine Corps and being in the Marine Corps was one of the one of the other definitive moments because the first time I was I was exposed to much more diversity, like the platoon that I was in. There were young men from so many different uh, parts of the country, from so many different states, um, and then you had certain young men who came from different countries. So for me. It was very eye-opening. I was in a diverse high school, but when I got to the Marine Corps in boot camp and I saw all these young men from so many different places, man, it just really opened my eyes a mm. whole lot more that there's more people than just me and my group. Yeah, There's more perspectives than just me and my group. Um, so there was a lot of lessons in the Marine Corps that I learned, accountability. Um, they taught um, to see um, your fellow Marines as family. These are your brothers. It doesn't matter if they're Hispanic, if they're Caucasian, if they're Asian, if they're from Cambodia. Each one of these gentlemen, these men, you are to see as your brothers. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that may have not served the Marine Corps or, or specifically the Marine Corps, I can't speak for any other branch, but the Marine Corps specifically, they have no tolerance for prejudice. None. None. Racism is not tolerated. So, for many different ways that they would exhibit that, one of the ways would be um, if they saw that there was a gravitation to one's own ethnic group, they would break that up. Yeah. So they see Hispanics sitting with Asians, Asians sit with African Americans, African Americans can sit with Caucasians. So they wanted it blend, uh, blended, very much so. Um, yeah. um, so the the unity. And the seeing of family and the love that I talked about earlier when it came to my religious upbringing, that was still pretty pretty much the same when it came to Marine Corps because it was in a certain context still. 
it was mm -hmm. still, okay, your brothers in the Marines. I mean, um, see them as family. Um, but what's different now for me is my understanding now of unity and love. It goes beyond any group. It goes beyond um, any ethnic group, any culture. It just extends. Um, so from that, and, I, and I'll kind of speed it up because I don't want to talk, but it's it just, it, it's so many things that are really a part of kind of where it is that I, where, where I am now that has contributed to where I'm at right now. No, and I think that's important. And I really appreciate that. That tells us, it gives us a glimpse into how to see through your lens. And something that you said about your mom, which I think is interesting, which is something I feel like has happened to me time and time again, is it's different to start seeing everybody as a, an outgroup or an outsider when someone directly intimate to you wants to go over there. And you said your mom had to come up on some changes with that. And that is like, you know, this is my baby. My baby is choosing the outgroup right now. Am I going to cast my son off? I mean, a lot of parents are faced with choices like that when, when, when we have our religious views come into play and push against something personal happening in our life, whether it be a child coming out or even, you know, still today in societies, a child choosing to fall in love with someone of not the same race or ethnicity that pushes against our personal boundaries and our religious boundaries. And it sounds like your mom was like, I'm still going to make an adjustment for this. This is, this is my blood. This is my flesh. This is my family. And I think that is kind of what, for me, especially begins a transformation is when something pushes so hard against you personally like that, where you feel like you have to choose between lines. And then it's like, when we start to realize, wait, there isn't a line. We drew that line. We don't have to. And so that sounds like what happened to you. You come from this very legalistic, rigid set of beliefs to the military where you're a collective family, you're at their unity. It doesn't matter what your beliefs or your bloodlines are you're in that situation, you take that outward. And that's what I see your view as right now. You're trying to tell all of us, yeah, this is how it is. We're family. We're supposed to look out for each other. So that's one of the things they just really appreciate about your message overall. It's about unity and oneness and how we're all interconnected. So what are, beyond the military and obviously your mother's first steps into showing you that was something she could receive, what else has inspired you to maintain this messaging because there's a lot of stuff out there that can push against us and say no 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 that's too far you're being too inclusive here we have to have lines we have to have boundaries rules so what helps you what inspires you to keep that going what really helps me and i made mention earlier to someone who, ha who has had a very powerful impact on me your wife and yeah and um this little 5'2 Japanese woman has had such an impact on me. First, she was willing to leave everything, sis. She was a native to Tamagusuku City, Japan, where her family, everything that she's familiar with, she left that. And um, in her being here, just her honesty, her fairness, <laughs> I mean, her impartiality has really taught me a lot. 
because when I met her, I was still dealing with a lot of the fragments of the environment that I was in. And I'll give you one, one situation. Um, when she first got here, she, she got employed somewhere um, and she was working every single Sunday. And in my mind, I'm like, damn, why can't my wife be here? Like, why can't she be in this service with me, listening to the sermons with me? And I just remember a voice, then it was just like, because I don't want her here. There's too much here. Like, there's too much of, 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 of the us versus them that I talked about earlier. There's too much of the, um, um, we are superior. Everyone else is inferior. It's too much of that. And her mind doesn't need to be polluted with that because where she's from, and she has voices to me, there was a lot of shocks that she had when she first came here. A lot of shocks. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the shocks was just how we treat each other. Like she was very shocked by that because where she's from, and I had an opportunity to go over there and visit her in um, 2011 and her family, was just the common courtesy. Like it's just embedded in the culture. You just respect each other. It's, it's, just, it's just a mutual understanding when it comes to courtesy. So when she came over here, I mean, just, it was a lot that, that was very intense on her. But what has taught me a lot about, just about life and human involvement and how to treat people, um, as I've already stated, is just the fairness, um, the showing impartiality, and just really just seeing other people through the lens of you're connected with them. So all those years where I was seeing people as being someone I need to stay away from because I was looking at them through the lens of, I'm an insider, my group, we, we're the right ones. I mean, I mean we're the special ones. Yeah. So that alone, <laughs> it really led to a lot of people I avoided and I pushed away and I said, I can't talk to you. You don't dress like me. You don't speak like me. You do this, this, and that. Therefore. Mm -hmm. I can't have nothing to do with you. So when my wife came in her innocence and just her simple nature, a lot of what she taught me crushed all of that. Like, that's not living. That's not really living. Um, because, I mean, is it really living if one is living solely from a place of anxiety, stress, and that stress being caused by people not conforming to my standards? A lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, because I wanted people to be a certain way, but I knew I couldn't control them. Though. So when my wife came, man, she crushed, she literally crushed all of that. Mm. Um, I think that's important right there. I like to touch in on that control. We yeah. have this weird sense that we're supposed to control things and control people and maintain control over status quo. And I never understood that. It's something that came up just recently within my own personal life from an in-law, this idea that my listeners know my in-laws do not like me. And one of them said something to my husband recently, which was, you know, society would agree with me that your wife is this. And my husband just giggled because he, you know, he's not really intimately connected with his family. Either they work together. We have a farm, they farm together, their family farm. But he brought that back to me and he was like, people really do still depend on society's agreement with them in order for them to feel like they're confident in what they believe. And he, you know, that's a, 
real slap in the face of reality sometimes. The people we think we know will say something like that. And Corey and I just realized we were like, wow, we're kind of in a different kind of realm right now where we don't expect society to qualify our beliefs. And so many people depend on the agreeability to qualify what I'm saying. And you were talking about something recently about this whole, we think that we're right because others agree with us. But what if even though we're all in agreement, we're wrong? And I just thought, yes, yes, that's the question we need to ask ourselves. So I'm wondering if you could bring that back a little bit. It was such a a great message. Oh, yeah, it it was, it was, um, and I just had a conversation with my wife about this um, exactly. And I share a lot of things with her, even if I post something on Facebook or live, I usually speak to her about it as well, because her input to me is so very valuable. And in my being her husband, she's she seeing me as her husband, me seeing her as my wife. She's still so fair to the point that if I'm wrong on any given thing, she'll let me know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if I'm not being fair or I'm not expressing empathy or I'm not trying to take into consideration how somebody else thinks, feels, or perceives, she'll call me out on that. Like, Chris, come on, think about it this way. And honestly, what led to that, sis, was this. My wife told me something uh, a while ago, and it really has stuck with me then, and it was really one of the reasons why I said what I said. And she said, Chris, like, one of the things that also shocked her was how we argue, like whether it be over religious stance or view or arguments over politics, the things that we argue and we clash and we conflict over. She said, Chris, what if everybody's wrong? Mm. And I was like, oh my goodness. I'm, it's just because the way she said it, it wasn't to exalt any one person over anybody else, but to put everybody on an equal plane mm-hmm. in regards to just that. What if everybody's wrong? What if the mindset that is the us versus them, you see them as the enemy? What if every mindset, even if it's the collective mindset of any system, whether political or religious, is the wrong mindset? Mm. Because it's becoming the very hindrance from our seeing what is, which is our oneness, which is our being connected, which is our being interdependent. So I said that in light of um, that which my wife said, And then just many instances where I just begin to think about, have there been times where you had a person or persons who all agreed on something that could have been wrong? And I gave an illustration of different extreme groups within certain ethnicities. Um, No matter what the ethnicity is, an extreme group within the ethnicity um, that is pushing a message that says other ethnicities are inferior. Mm. So you can have multiple people within that group all saying, yes, that's what we believe. But it's like, does that collective belief mean that what they believe is even true? Is it right? So it's kind of like, and and I speak in general a lot of times because I'm trying to be very careful with what I say because I don't want to speak divisively. If one group is expressing something that is really the same essence and nature, but it's within another group, it's the same thing. If you got one one ethnic group that's expressing a hatred for other ethnic groups, how is that any different if another ethnic group is doing the same exact thing? 
for every other ethnic group. It's just, it, to me, it's just the same thing. Yeah. Um, so that was really the reason as to why I said it. And I said it in a way, sis, because I asked questions while including myself in the question for me to think as well. Because I never want my lives or my posts to, 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 to be a finger pointing. Because I, 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 I spent too long pointing my fingers at other people. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time. And, 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 and I was just filling the role of inspector. I need to inspect everybody else. I need to inspect every situation. But in a lot of those cases, I never truly introspected myself. So now when I ask a question, I don't ask out if I have not asked in first. Chris, have you thought about this? Mm -hmm. Have you really thought about this? Is it possible for multiple people to agree <laughs> and all of them be wrong? Yes. Um, and that's a, that's a difficult thing to think about. I mean, it, it can be hard to think about because especially if one is convicted or they feel they're right on a matter, I'm pretty sure they, wanna, they don't want to consider the possibility that they could be wrong. That resonates deep with me. Um, just when I'm researching something, when I'm writing about something, if I feel like I'm presenting an idea that's out of the box, I will go and search for not only proof that I'm wrong, but I think I'm hoping for proof that I'm right too, or that someone else shares this view with me that I can use that scholar's uh, accreditation to back up what I'm saying. Like, see, I'm not the only one. Somebody else agrees with me. And therefore, I'm right. And I've worked really hard to just take right and wrong out of the equation. Like, this isn't about right and wrong. Does it make sense? Is it believable? Could it benefit people if we looked at it this way? Those, yeah. if we take those applications instead of is it right or wrong is it fact or fiction can it be verified and duplicated in an experiment that i think needs to be reserved for specific things when we're talking about ideas when we're talking about you know the greater well-being of everybody when we're talking about oneness we have to take these mathematical equations out of it and and think mm -hmm. with like i would say like a love logic instead yeah, yeah. And that seems to be what you do too. You have this love logic and um, something you talked about, oh, that you were reading, um, you were reading Parsons. Is that the name? Parson? Tony Parsons. Tony Parsons. And you shared this example of ignorance with two people on the beach. And that was so powerful for me. So I'm wondering if you remember it, if you can recall it and explain it again, because that for me, I just went... That's what I've been looking for someone to say because I wasn't able to articulate it that way. Like I've been sitting here trying to say like, you know, just because someone's ignorant doesn't mean they're wrong and it doesn't take away from something. And I just couldn't put the words together, but you did a brilliant job of doing that. So please share that with us. Thank you. That's um, something I thought about. Ooh, we. It's, it's an illustration I love to use because there's really a point that I'm intending to drive with using the illustration. And it's just, if two, two individuals are, are standing on the beach or anywhere, I mean, it could be two men standing outside in front of a tree. And I really draw attention to the only difference between the two is that one could actually see and one cannot see. And the reason why I make reference to the sun is that what we receive, what we as humans receive from the sun, that's not gonna stop because one of the two men can't see. Mm. Like they're still gonna receive the benefit from the sun even though they cannot see the sun. 
So I usually equate the blindness with ignorance a lot of times. And honestly, sis, I've really looked at things more in terms, not really of right and wrong anymore, but more of in terms of maturity and immature. When someone is not immature, what will they exhibit? What will they say? What will they do if they're not mature? And I think a mature mind, if it's expressing empathy, has to take that into consideration. And in some ways, sympathy, because what mature person wasn't once immature at some point of time? So I think it's a little bit of both. But it's like, I don't think even with that illustration, the man that can see the sun shine, I don't think that that man that could see would say that the sun isn't what it is because the man that's next to me can't see it. So his relationship to that man will have to be in light of that which is. And it's not what is being dictated by the, by the man's ignorance or his blindness, but by the man who can actually see it. So it's like, for me, with that illustration, it really does something even as it relates to love and just unity and oneness. And that's the really, really the reason why I drew the illustration to really point mainly to oneness and unity. That just because so much of what we see is giving out the appearance of division, schisms, violence, wars, sex, verbal attacks at each other's throat, does all of that diminish that which ultimately is? And for those who say they can see it, they have to deal with all, even in light of what is giving off the appearance of separation, they have to deal with God in light of that, while still being understanding that those, there are many of those who are caught up in how things are looking right now. To me, it really has everything to do. I mean, because I could, we could spend this time speaking about everything that everybody else is seeing right now. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that's flooding Facebook since. There's so much that's on <sighs> YouTube. There's yeah. so much on CNN, ABC, Fox. Everything is just coming at all of us in overload. Yeah, it but is. it's like, it's really, and I talked to my brother about this, sis, is that for me, all of this that's going on, it has really pushed me to do what I made a brief mention to earlier, and that is just introspection. Chris, what does how you see say about you? What does how you see say about you? I mean, I could, I got a lot to point at, sis. <laughs> I got a whole, we all got something to point at. Yeah. I mean, but it's like, with all this pointing, after we point, have we not only considered ourselves and who we are? And that's one thing that I've been really thinking about, like, okay, after all this, after whatever emotion that we're operating in, because they fluctuate, do we know who we are? Mm. We're mad, we're angry, we're sad, we're depressed, we're hostile, we're angry. After all of that, what then? And then do we truly know who we are? After all this, do we know, have we truly introspected? Or has all this time just been spent on who's wrong? And who we're not. <laughs> yeah, I hear you on that. That's I've been, I kind of made like a vow to myself that I didn't want to perpetuate what I was seeing. And I could share the video of George Floyd, or I could share the video of Ahmed Abbery, or I could share the information about some horrible thing that happened. And I thought, why do I want to put that back out in the universe when I'm seeing it? I know how it's making me feel. And I just mm. didn't want to add to that. 
And I also didn't want to take away from other people being present to that if they didn't know what was happening. But I thought, that's not for me. It's not for, I've taken this approach. It's not for me to awaken someone else. I just have to Mm -hmm. stay awakened. But what I have to remember is out there, when I look outward at other people, they're at a place I once was. They're at a Mm. different place in their journey, just like I was. And if I'm going to say anything, I need to be able to add to them so they can see clearly and not muddy up what they're seeing because I don't agree with the the lens they're using. And Mm. it's been really hard, mind you, to do that, to be that consciously aware of not adding negativity because I'm kind of on this this, uh, trajectory of thinking, if I don't want negative energy, I'm not going to... I'm not going to imitate it. And that is negative energy if we're sharing it. As, as silly as that sounds, it's negative. And if I want to replace that negative energy, positive energy is going to overflow it. It's difficult because we get caught up in this social media stuff and it's like, do it, say it, come on, jump on, get outraged, react, where's your action? Tell me how you're feeling right now. And it's like, one of my really good friends says that all the time, even when I say it and I'm like, I'm feeling like this. He's like, your feelings are fleeting. What are your feelings revealing to you? Why are you reacting to these feelings? What is it triggering? What do you need to heal? What do we need to tolerate? What do we need to accept? What do we need to receive differently? And I think that you kind of had that view too. You can see all that crap out there, but you can go, it's bringing, it's in my attention for a reason. And what Mm -hmm. can I take from this and transform and spread back out so it looks like love instead of this crap? Wow, wow, wow. Definitely agree, definitely agree. And that brings to mind, and me and my brother, we talked about this uh, once before. And we both recollected, because when we were younger, we did watch certain movies like, I don't know if you've seen movies like Time to Kill with uh, Samuel Jackson and Matthew McConaughey years ago. Yeah, uh, Movies like Rosewood that depicted things that, I mean, that took place. Uh, okay, these things happened. Yeah. But I saw what it did to me after the movie ended. I would go into public, and based on what I just saw in the movie, I would now transfer that to people whose skin didn't look like mine. Mm. So now I'm hating people. Like, like, I got this inner hostility, and it came from somewhere. Okay, this could have happened. But what did it do to me? And what did it lead me to showing people who didn't have anything to do with what I just saw in this movie? So it's like one thing I'm, I'm also trying to, to take into consideration is I can't be lumping everybody in the same pot. Like, every person is guilty of what one person did. To me, what that looks like is just because one African-American male is selling drugs and degrading women, now I'm to be seen like that. And I'm like, no, I don't live degrading women and I don't live selling drugs. So to me, it just kind of really shows the shallowness with a mindset like that or just one being very unreasonable. Why am I going to put off on everybody else? Something that they personally did not do. But I also thought about something with what you said before. Even at this time, and another very powerful impact in my life is I only have one biological brother. But my brother, he's very, he's very fair as well. And we had a conversation not too long ago. 
um, about something that I did share on Facebook. And one thing that he said, Chris, you have to be willing to try to understand how people are feeling right now. Yeah. And, and what comes to mind when he said that was like, say somebody lost somebody that they love, a mother, a father, a child, and then somebody tells them who has not lost anybody is telling them you just need to get over it. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I mean, that's easy for me to say. Yeah. But it's like, if I really want to try to show empathy, like, man, what does it feel like to lose somebody? What does their pain really feel like? And I may never fully understand it, but just to, to step into their world in that moment for the sake of love, because of my love for you, I'm willing to step into your world for a second, just to feel you, try to understand you. I can't be so impulsive to say, because I think this person needs to get over it. They need to get over it. It's something, sis. All of our responses to what's going on is solely up to us as individuals, which goes back to that introspection. What am I going to show? Like, like, what does all this say about me? Where am I at right now? Mentally, emotionally, where's my perspectives of others at? What is all this saying about me? Because I just don't see change on a large scale if it doesn't first start with individual changes. Yes. Um, individual changes. We try to change the government. We try to change politics. We try to change all this stuff. But it's like, okay, what about the introspection for every individual? Like serious introspection. And I know in a lot of cases, and, and I can speak just from firsthand, that wasn't really taught in a lot of ways. It was just look at everything that is contrary to you. Look at everything that is against what you're doing. Um, but it was never a seriously looking at myself, even in that mindset, like, man, why do I think this? Why do I think that everybody's the enemy? <laughs> why do I think that I'm better than other people? Why am I thinking this way? Yeah, well, and... You know, the thing we forget, and I mean, I forget it. I brought it up just yesterday. I started telling my kids about it again. Someone brought up the word enemy and was like, they're my mortal enemy. And I was like, we are called to love our enemy. So you better stop Mm. seeing that person as your enemy. And I just paused for a minute and I'm like, oh yeah. And so, I mean, like I said earlier, I in-laws and I don't get along and there is this battle right now. And the problem that I continue to run into is I keep finding justification to look at them as the enemy. Like you've been doing this. You asked for this. You wanted this. You did this. You started it, not me. And I always have to catch myself and go, stop it. You're just blaming them. Where's your accountability in this? But we don't want to do that. We very rarely are willing to go, wait, what did, how did I screw this up? Because God knows I screw things up all the time. But how often do we want to brag about that? Like, y'all, do you know how many times I messed up today? Like 20. Nobody's bragging about that on the internet. You know, we're not talking about all the stupid crap we did, the dumb arguments we created with our spouses, the way we overreacted to our kids because they interrupted our Netflix show or whatever, my recording, you know, whatever it is. We do falter, but we act like we're blameless, perfect people, and we only look outward. We live in this realm where we are provoked to react to that false reality and then never hold ourselves accountable for it. And then I think if we don't hold ourselves accountable, who the hell are we to demand accountability from anybody? 
Like Man. all we do is scapegoat. I don't think we can scapegoat this much and still understand what accountability even looks like. Because if wow. we're willing to condemn brother or sister out here, are you willing to do this? Because it, the the journey I am on has brought me to see that if I'm pointing outward, I'm kind of actually pointing inward because you mm. are me and, and I am you. And if we can condemn them, that means we're condemning ourselves. That made me really understand when you judge others, you judge yourself in a whole new light. Ooh, ooh, and, and that's so foul. It, ooh, it's, it's, it, it's like, and I said something along those lines yesterday, and I know it was just for imaginative purposes, but what if we actually felt every word that we said to somebody else? whether positive or negative. Or like, even if we got into a physical altercation or was hitting on somebody, we felt every single blow. Would we be quick to speak in certain ways or do certain things? Which I believe is tied into, and honestly, even though we may not necessarily feel that, doesn't take away from the oneness that we have. But realizing that oneness, it's like, it really, and what it done for me, it's made me very slow as it relates to what I'm saying. Like sometimes, Chris, just keep your mouth closed. <laughs> sometimes it's not meant for you to say anything. Just be silent. And for such, for, for such a long time of, uh, of my life where, um, and I didn't say this earlier, sis, I was a very angry person, man. Like extremely, like just angry for no reason. I didn't have to have a reason to be angry. I was just angry. A lot of it had to do with the absence of my physical father, my biological father within my life. But outside of that, there really was no reason. And if a person gave me a reason just to add on top of the anger that I was already in for no reason, <laughs> I mean, it, it really, it really was something. But it, it's like now, the more I begin to see. This oneness, and it's not that it started to be that when my eye came open to it, but that it's been that even when my eye was closed. It was still that. And not just with humanity, sis. It's like my love for just the environment has increased significantly. My attention just to the details of nature, when I go outside and just see the trees, look at the sky, just look at the ants, and look at what they're doing, and the insects, what they're doing. Yeah. All of it is so beautiful to me. And I was just thinking about, okay, just our relationship with vegetation over trees. Like, they're giving out something we need. And we're giving out something that they need. So there's a beautiful connection and interdependency that's there that we depend on the trees and they depend on us. So what would it look like for me to tear it down, to, 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 to criticize it, to think, to speak as if it has no worth, no purpose? If I said I've been made aware of that interconnection it's a lot of good thoughts no really i watch your videos it, like you do them in the morning a lot and i watch them and i'm like this is like my sermon for the day in a lot of regards and it's so uplifting and powerful so i just want to just thank you i've been so grateful for our connection and for this ability to learn from you and also watch your evolution because you always seem to be willing to widen your scope and include more information. And so that's just, this is really inspiring. That's what I want to do. 
what you said about when you go outside now and you have a new appreciation that happened for me a lot too, just since I moved out here to my husband's family farm, coming to this environment made me, yeah, look at the entire world in a different way and see from, you know, dirt to every seed we planted to what kind of life it grows. And there's, you know, some days I go outside and I just think, look at how bold and, and deep these colors are. And just for me, sometimes we don't stop and pause and realize that what you are able to look at out there, that's for you. That's for your vision right there for you to view. Like God is like saying here for you. And we don't take gratitude in that moment. We just go about our day like a busy bee, not stopping to pay attention. But, you know, the sweetest thing about a bee is they, they lay down in the flowers and take a little nap in that pollen. So I hope that we get to that point where we're not just using nature to benefit ourselves, but we're using nature to replenish ourselves, I guess, wow. more or less. Wow. That's so beautiful. And, ooh, it's like that brings something to mind. It's like I was thinking about this the other day, and it had to do with, like, focus. Like, I see focus as being of importance, depending on what one is focusing on. But I've also seen, even when it comes to, like, say a person is just in the zone. <laughs> They're focused on one thing. And the illustration that came to mind, if I went in the gym and my focus is on doing something on the bench press, and I'm just so focused on, i got to focus on this bench press to the point that I conclude that what I'm doing is the only thing that's going on. And I thought about it. Chris, is that really true? Because who's on the stairs? Who's on the elliptical? Who's in the cardio room? It's so much that's going on simultaneously, despite what I'm focusing on. So even if we are just so focused on the busy work, school, all these different things, it's like what is going on simultaneously? In spite of all that, the beauty is there. We might not be focusing on it, but to know that it's still there. There's so much that's going on simultaneously. And since I was thinking about it, even with everything that has been kind of flooding and been presented, in certain ways I've seen that a lot of times what's been presented is to get the attention of mass groups of people. But it's like, if the attention of mass groups of people can be grabbed, it can be arrested, and their attention is set only on this, how much is not attended to? Mm. Like, how much is not focused on? Yesterday, I saw a picture, and I'm pretty sure we've all seen a picture, of a child that is starving. Like, they're just thin, just, just bellies are sunken in. And I just begin to think, like, I can't even begin to imagine what that feels like. But yet it's going on simultaneously, despite everything we got going on over here. There's so much else going on in the planet right now that sometimes I can forget it's actually happening. Somebody's going through something horrendous. Somebody's starving to death. But it's like, how often can I forget that because my focus is just on one particular thing? So it's like in that I'm just learning to be just crispy, be aware, man. Just, just. Just keep your mind open. Stay open. 
because that was another thing that was kind of frowned upon before. You're not to have an open mind. Yeah. You're not to question. Don't argue against the narrative. So think this way. So now I'm learning like, in my being free, you are free to explore. Consciousness is very adventurous. When you think of all the expressions of consciousness, it's very adventurous. And I can't say that I'm adventurous if my mind is closed. Yeah. It's like, I'm scared. I can't go over there, I'm scared. I can't read this, I'm scared. But how much is there in territories we may be scared to go into, how much may be within literature that we're scared to read, that could actually contribute to our overall growth. But because we're told you can't read that, you can't look at that, you can't go over there, you can't talk to those people, how much could actually be there that we could benefit from? Like, it's actually contributing to our growth. And also, who are these people that listen to those people that say, don't do that, don't think that? Because I'm over here like, when you tell me not to, I'm going to go do it. I mean, don't listen to that music. Well, now I'm going to listen to it because you don't like it. I'm going to find a reason to like it. Don't watch those movies. I'm watching all those movies. So <laughs> who are those people that listen? I don't listen. <laughs> Do not, you know, and I had people even say things like, do not read Piper, do not read MacArthur, um, because of their, you know, their hellfire and, and anti-same-sex ideals. And I thought, well, I'm going to read them just to figure out why they believe what they believe. That doesn't take away from anything. Like, I never understood why people steered clear of other views, even if they were narrow, even if other people did think they were bad views. Well, can we get to understanding where these views came from? And then can we be more aware to not let ourselves get into those views? I mean, shouldn't we want to know the enemy so we don't become the enemy? That's just kind of what I always thought. Like everyone, especially with Marx, Karl Marx, people, you know, drool over him. I don't think I'm with that persuasion at all, but I don't understand it either. So I don't want to judge something. Unless I'm willing to try and understand it. But then what happens when you're willing to understand what you're trying to judge? You don't judge it so harshly anymore. Ooh. You know, you pull back yeah. and you go, oh, okay, well, I can see where this ideology stemmed from. And it came from an impact because somebody was hurt and betrayed by a certain other ideology. So you can understand there's a remedying process and a grieving process developing out of Whatever new ideology is birth, it's coming from a place of emotion that might not have been developed enough, but you can understand that that way. And then you go, okay, well, I've developed beyond that area, so I don't have to worry about that. And I don't have to fall victim to it or be influenced by it. Wow. So. And it, that kind of reminds me of a, of a quote, I believe Albert Einstein said, he said that condemnation without investigation is the height of ignorance. Mm. Right? to condemn something that one has no knowledge of, or they've either been misinformed, ill-informed, but they haven't been informed though. So, yes. and that can be something that can be a huge adjustment for a mind that has been used to condemning things just because they're foreign, um, or just because they're alien to their circumference of awareness. Like right now, sis, I had a friend of mine, he, he, he sat with me, we kind of chit-chatted, and he was looking at all my books and the different types of books that I read, and he was like, man, with all these books, Chris, it seemed like you go insane. 
And I said, nah, bruh. And the reason why is because I'm not looking for my identity within any book. It's like, if you know who you are, you can look anywhere. But, but like you said, the reason why I do it is it gives me an insight to other individual stances. That's still a part of the expressing of empathy. So I may not agree with the person's stance. I may disagree with them. But to me, what has always given me tranquility and peace, uh, sis, is this, that whether this person agrees or disagrees with me, I still have to see them as being family if I'm saying I'm seeing oneness. So I think it's been made more about agreement and disagreement. If they agree, they're your family. If they disagree, they're not your family. But I would wonder how that would work in our family structures. So our children are no longer our children because they disagree with us. <laughs> or my, my, my wife is no longer my wife because she don't disagree with me. We would have no children and no spouses ever if that was the rule. <laughs> I mean, it's like, uh, so, so to me, it's like, okay, what, which, which of the two is going to be what it is? even in the presence of either agreement or disagreement. Agreement, cool. But is it really added to that which is, which is just family? Is a disagreement going to diminish that which is, which is the family? Especially and also, I question too, do we assume agreement is like loyalty? Because mm. I've had a lot of people agree with me who are nowhere to be found if I need a little bit of support or encouragement. You know what I mean? And I've yeah. had plenty of people that I have adamantly disagreed with who are always there no matter what. So it's like, there's this thing that um, I've, I've said it, but I mean, it's not an original quote and I've been seeing it floating around more and more. And, and that's this idea disagreement is not sin. Disagreement is not cause for hatred. And I think in what we also don't see is disagreement is diversity. Like agreement <laughs> is status quo. Everybody's on board. Same idea. Group think disagreement means we all think differently and isn't that what we're longing for for everybody to be accepted for not thinking the same as everybody else but we equate disagreement to a reason to hate and a reason to divide and i just think well what's a for diversity then if we all agree with the same thing that's not very diverse that's wow 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 and that's the beauty I see, one of the beauties I see within diversity, because every individual is so very unique. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get into this, this like for a while since being in the reserve, the majority of the environment that I've been in the last 10 to 12 years, and I'm still in, is the psych behavioral environment. And there's so much that I have learned that has taught me a lot about me, but also how valuable it really is to want to really understand more of where somebody else is at. Even if they're doing stuff that like, cause since I've seen some bizarre things, very bizarre things, but it's, it, it's like, despite the level of <laughs> what I'm seeing as being bizarre, I've still learned something. It's, I can give one, one, one example. Like there was a gentleman I came into contact with and I was servicing and I was tending to and caring for. And over time, 
it was like I was able to understand him more because he was with us for an extremely long period. But over time, I was able to learn more about him. Now, the way that he spoke, it would sound like he was talking directly to you, and he wasn't talking directly to you. But it was only after me getting close and understanding more about how he speaks, I could deal with him in light of that. But if I didn't understand that, I would probably get mad, angry, ready to fight, because I'm thinking this dude is cussing me out and he's ready to come get me. But it's like the closer I got to him and the more I really tried to step into his world and how he spoke, I realized why he spoke the way that he spoke. But it took that time to kind of step outside of me. Chris, don't get offended. Try to understand. And in that understanding, man, it brought a lot of solace. But with all the encounters that I've had with individuals who, I mean, they feel worthless, they feel invaluable, they feel like they're nothing. I've learned that in those environments, I'm not there to amplify that voice of accusation they're already hearing. I'm not there to do that. But to tell them something they might not be, be considering in the moment, and I know in their emotion, in their state, it's hard to really listen to any of that. But I've seen so many cases where those words have penetrated, even the state of mind that they're in. You just see them change. It's a very a beautiful thing to witness, just to be willing to, to just be there for a person, just be present, just listen. A lot of people just want to be listened to. And that's literally it. Yeah. <laughs> they, don't, they don't want to hear nothing. They just want to be, I just want you to be present. I had a young lady say that, I just want you to sit there. That's it. The best conversations come from that when there isn't a desire for you to hurry up and say what you want to say. I mean, that's kind of where I, I used to be like, sit down and listen to me talk. I have so much to say. And I got to this point where I was like, I already know everything I think. Like, I want to know about this person. And I'm not going to know about this person unless I'm willing to listen. And I used to be one of these, I was a stickler for like getting on everyone in my house about, you don't even know how to communicate. You don't even know how to listen. Da, 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 da. And I really had to step back. And I was like, that's because I'm always running my mouth and I'm not listening to people. And that's kind of, I want to say it was Desmond Tutu who said this, that like, you can't change anything out there unless you first have changed what's in your heart and in your house. And, and you can't put it out there if you can't make it happen in your home. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, my biggest struggles are communicating with the people in my house. And if I can't remedy that, who am I to tell other people we should be focused on nonviolent communication? We should be mindful with our words. Who am I to tell that to people if I'm not doing it in my own home? And we skip that step. I see a lot of people skip that step, myself included. We want to go to influencing others, but we haven't turned that kind of method of practice we're sharing on ourselves first. You know, we're not willing to be the student first. We just want everyone else to be our students. And that's hard for us. We have to pull back. We have to remember if you're not learning the process that you're trying to teach others, you're never going to teach it to them. And they're never going to be able to actualize it. Because if I'm not calm when my husband comes in with a million reasons why he was this late, I'm not going to be able to teach someone else how to do that in a relationship, right? You know, it's like, what are you acting out first? And if you can't put that into action here, 
you got no business trying to put it in action out there. Ooh, ooh, that's so powerful. It, 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 it's, you said something that, that got me thinking of, sometimes we have to be willing to accept that we're a student. We're a student of something. Like I put a video this morning and it was a video of these two little two, they were maybe two, three years old, little toddlers. And one was of one skin tone and another was of, another, uh, of, uh, of a different skin tone. But just to see the warmth and love of these two toddlers come and embrace each other. They were just like so happy, so excited, and so, I mean, it, it's obvious that these toddlers had no stereotypes. Mm -hmm. They had no racism. They had no prejudice. That wasn't <laughs> nowhere in their minds. And it was obvious. And I was just trying to think, okay, what's going on with these little babies' minds right now? That pollutes a lot of the minds of us as adults. Mm -hmm. And with that video, I was thinking like, how many of us as adults need to be students to this? Mm. What can we learn from this? These little two, three-year-old children who are embracing each other, what can we learn from that? I think sometimes we just see it as the other way. The kids, they have to learn from us. Oh, how much can we really learn from children? I think we're supposed to learn from children. Be like children. What, a, what is all that messaging in the Bible? Be like children. Play. Love. Uncontrollably like those two little toddlers running into each other. I think I know what video you're talking about. And my kids were always like that. I homeschool. So we don't, they didn't have all of this other interaction. The excitement they get when we do hang out with other people, when there are other kids, or even just seeing kids in the grocery store after being quarantined for 12 weeks. They are magnetized to each other. They don't care if they don't even know each other. They're like, did you see my dress I'm wearing? Did you see my shoes? You are beautiful. I want to be your friend. I mean, you can, my kids do it all the time. We're going into the restroom. I want to be that little girl's friend. You know, like the love just explodes out of them. And I think, well, we don't do that. We get older and we're like, I'm holding this in. You don't get it. I'm not sharing it. I don't, I don't trust you. You might hurt me. I've been hurt before. I have to commit to this. This is not contracted. We are so selfish with our love the older we get. And I think that's the part where we need to get back to being like children. Let that love just radiate out of you. Let it magnetize you to people the way it does to those little kids and the way it does to all children. Children are like, another person like me. I'm so excited. And we see other humans and we're like, I hate you. I don't want to be around humans. Where does that come from? So we are obviously taught to not love. We are taught to limit our love as we get older. Wow. What if, what if like the mind that led to what these kids were demonstrating, and I know that they still have the minds of toddlers, but what if that mind was continued to be fostered. Let's keep that. Because like you said, I think a lot of that is just taught. Like, I, I, sometimes I try to imagine like, okay, what if the next 50 years, there weren't certain things that were taught that were toxic to the point that it led us to hating one another for whatever various reason, whether it's a person's culture, ethnicity, politics, whatever, one of the factors that just can be so divisive. It's like, what if that teaching just, I mean, what if that ceased like just to love another human being? And 
I was thinking even with that video, and we talked about it earlier, just, man, there's always going to be a person that disagrees <laughs> with what you say or what you do. I'm looking at my, this, this around me right now. If I say that a certain one of these books is, is the best book, there's somebody that's going to disagree. If I say that this bottle of water is the best water, there's going to be someone who disagrees. If I'm talking about the gas I'm putting in my, it's going to be somebody that disagrees. But <laughs> to me, it's just like, what if we can get to the point of just, okay, what if I just see human first? What if I just see that human first? So I said that in light of the video, I said, because I've seen a lot of language that has been out there that says if, if a person speaks about a certain life mattering, it's distracting from something else. So somebody can say, well, this video is distracting from what's going on. And I'm thinking like, when, is, when are acts of love ever the distraction? Yes. But, like, like, why is love is a distraction? I mean, and honestly, man, just dealing with that humanity and dealing with all of us, not the human life mattering to me, that really goes deeper than any specific or particular ethnic group. I mean, it just goes deeper. I mean, because that human life mattering is inclusive of all ethnic groups. That's really, really all I got, sis. That's all you got, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of what you got. So, no, and I love that. And what you just said, I wrote something down. What if love is a distraction from the division? What if we're okay with letting love be our distraction? Because that's something I was thinking about. I just released a podcast um, last night, and it, I had been holding that back for a while because it was talk. I was talking about love. And I was talking about, we were talking about masturbation and polyamory and marriage and monogamy. And I thought, this isn't the time for this. And then I went, yes, it is. People mm. need a distraction of love right now because all they're getting is division. All they're mm. getting is noise. And I'm like, I, I'm about love. Like I, that's all I like to talk about is love and making love and, and all the different ways we can make love. And so I put that down and I, and I told people too, I was like, you need this. We all need this right now. And if love is a distraction, I think it's like the greatest distraction we could consider <laughs> introducing and inundating our lives with right now. So let's go with that. Let love be our distraction from division. Let us get together again and have another conversation because this was amazing. And again, I'm just, I'm so inspired by you and your messages. And I just really appreciate that you're willing to share your lens of love with us, Chris. So thank you for joining me. I appreciate it, sis. Thank you.